I wonder um, how many of us would confess to suffering from a condition, whether mild or moderate or maybe severe, how many of us would confess to suffering from a case of FOMO? (laughs) Put up your hands right now. Now, FOMO stands for the fear of missing out. If you look around the room right now, the people with their hands in the air, those are the people who are afraid that they're missing out on something. If your hand is not in the air right now, you're doing the stuff that they're afraid they're missing out on, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> the fear of missing out, it's, it's described as a pervasive sense of apprehension or anxiety that some people are experiencing pleasurable experiences that you are currently missing out on, that you're absent from. Right? It's this, it's this chronic fear that somewhere somebody's having fun and you either didn't hear about it or weren't invited, period. And you're just, that's, it's this constant fear. In, in an internet age, perhaps surprisingly, people's fear of missing out has shot through the roof. I say surprisingly because you would think on the one hand, with the internet, we are as connected to each other as we've ever been. You could, you could pull out your smartphone right now. In fact, most of you probably have them out already. And you could text somebody else in the room, somebody else at another location at Southridge and say, this is boring, let's go get brunch right now at such and such a restaurant. And you could get up and walk out. You could make plans right now. Please don't. <laughs> but you could. We're connected all the time. So why are people afraid of missing out? One reason that people suspect that FOMO has shot through the roof is that because through our experiences with social media, what is social media most of the time? Most of the time, social media is people posting photos or words, descriptions about their most amazing experiences and you weren't there for 99.9% of them. You get to see how amazing everybody else's life is and you're like, but I, I wasn't there. And truth be told, and this is, this is serious, FOMO in an internet age is contributing to clinical levels of anxiety and depression in people who are afraid that they're being left out. At the end of the day, the only, all, the only thing that FOMO is, it's the adult internet age version of not being able to sit at the cool kids' table, right? Not to trigger people's childhood wounds from elementary school, but you know that feeling, that there is a cool kids' table, most of us do anyway, that there is a cool kids' table and you're not allowed to sit at it. And truth be told, there are cool kid tables all the way through life. It doesn't end in elementary school or university, or you know, high school or university. There's a cool kid's table in your neighborhood and you might not be allowed to sit at it. There's a cool kid's table in the place where you work and you might not be able to sit at it. There's a cool kid's table in your family or in your extended family and you might not be allowed to sit at it. And there's a cool kid's table in your retirement home and you might not be able to sit at it. Tragically, there's a cool kid's table in the church 
But there are people in our community who live all the time with this pervasive sense that there is a circle of insiders somewhere who are genuinely enjoying their sense of inclusion and belonging and community with each other. I am just not able to be a part of it. And it is precisely that feeling that maybe you have felt here. That Paul speaks out against in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 in the passage that we're going to look at today. Remember the book of Galatians, as we've been talking about, it is a, a letter written to a bunch of churches in the southern part of Turkey called the region of Galatia. Where Paul had planted a bunch of churches after preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. Which to Paul sounds like this. That that forgiveness and healing are available to everybody. Because of the unearned, undeserved, unwavering, unconditional, gracious love of God. And the only thing you need to do to receive that forgiveness and healing from God is in faith Trust yourself to Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. And anyone who does that gets to experience that forgiveness and healing from God. But after Paul left these churches, there was a group of preachers who came in after Paul and said, Paul kind of had it half right. Yes, forgiveness and healing by grace through faith in Christ. Absolutely. But if you want to be included... If you want to be a part of us, if you want to live your relationship with God rightly, there's a whole bunch of religious rules that you got to follow. You gotta, you're following a Jewish Messiah. You got to start acting Jewish by obeying the Jewish religious law. You got to get circumcised. You got to um, start observing the Sabbath. You got to start eating kosher. These are the rules you have to play by if you want to be one of us. And it is exactly this distortion of the good news of Jesus that Paul is enraged about and is intolerant of and is going to put down everywhere he discovers it, including when it comes straight from Peter, Jesus' most prominent disciple. In Galatians 2 verse 11, it says this, when Peter came to Antioch, now Antioch is the city where Paul lived and went to church. When Peter came to our church in Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For, because, what did he do? Before certain men came from the church in Jerusalem, from, who, that was pastored by James, Jesus' brother, before these Jewish Christians showed up, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived... He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even a guy as solid as Barnabas was led astray. Here's the story. Here's the circumstance. In the first century, church doesn't happen in an environment like the room that you're living in. There were no public church buildings that people met in. Church happened in people's homes. The, a wealthy person in the community who was a follower of Jesus would open their home and invite 50, 60, 70, 80 people over. It was about as large as you could get because homes weren't that big. They would invite these people over and the service looked nothing like what we do today. What they would do is go to this person's house and they would all eat together. They would have a common meal. People all over the house eating together in community. And as a part of the meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper with some of the bread and some of the wine. They would do communion together. 
And then they would all go out into the courtyard and sing songs and pray together and read scriptures and talk about what it looked like to follow Jesus. That's what church looked like. And Paul says there was a time when Peter came from Jerusalem to our church. And he hung out for a few Sundays and, and frankly, he fit right in. He was okay showing up and eating with the Gentiles and, and um, having their, you know, non-kosher food because Gentiles don't eat kosher and all of that. Peter was fine until, he says, a bunch of Jewish Christians from the Jerusalem church showed up. And all of a sudden, when these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem showed up, people who eat kosher, all of a sudden, Peter was afraid that they were going to judge him for sitting with Gentiles and eating non-kosher food. And so Peter stopped eating at the Gentile table and he started eating at the Jewish table. You see the problem here. In Jerusalem, where almost all the Christians are Jewish, when they get together for church and they eat, they eat kosher food because that's what the Jewish community does. But when Gentile churches in Antioch get together and do church and they eat together, they eat non-kosher food because Gentiles eat non-kosher food. And all of that's fine. It doesn't matter. Who cares what kind of food your community eats? The question that emerged all of a sudden was what happens when you have Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians all doing church together? And some of them wanted to eat kosher food and some others wanted to eat non-kosher food. What happens then? And I'll tell you what happened to Peter. And then Peter influenced a bunch of people, and those people all influenced even Christians as solid as Barnabas. Peter was afraid that his Jewish Christian friends, if they saw him eating unkosher food with Gentiles, because Gentiles were unclean and their food were unclean, if you ate as a Jewish person with Gentiles, if you ate with them, you were unclean. If they saw Peter eating unclean food with unclean people, they would say that he was unclean, that he himself was a sinner for eating at that table and not wanting to be judged. Peter went over and he sat at the Jewish table with the kosher food and he ate with those cool kids. And the implication was, if you wanted to be in community with Peter, you could but if you were a Gentile, you just had to go to the Jewish table and eat the Jewish food if you wanted to be in community, if you wanted to be church with Peter. This is how Paul responds. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, he says, I just stood up in the, in the middle of the church and I said, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Paul says, Peter, you're a Jew, but we all know that you don't care about eating with Gentiles, right? We know that because you were doing it before. You're a Jew who lives like a Gentile. And then all of a sudden these guys show up and now you're eating over at the cool kid table, at the Jewish kid table with the kosher food. And you're saying to the Gentiles, if you want to be a part of our group, You've got to adopt our Jewish religious rules about how to eat. We're all church because we all, by faith in Christ, have received the forgiveness and healing that comes from God's unearned, undeserved, unwavering, unconditional love. We're all, you know, people of faith together. 
But if you want to be a part of my group, you better start following these rules. Paul says that that's not just bad table manners. That's not just rude to a community of people who are getting excluded from the cool kid table. Paul says that is a violation of the gospel. It is fundamentally unchristian to separate yourself from another group of believers in Jesus Christ, people who have put their faith in Jesus and received the grace of forgiveness and healing in their lives from God, but to separate yourselves from them because they don't play by the same kinds of religious rules that you play by. To separate yourselves from them because they, they believe some doctrines that are important to you, but they don't believe them in exactly the same way that you do. Or they don't behave, you know, uh, they don't think about how to live as a Christian in exactly the same way that you do. Or they don't, um, they don't practice their spirituality in exactly the same way that you do. And because they don't play by the same religious rules that you do, you're just going to go over here and you're going to, you know, restrict your community to your people. Paul says, that's not just rude. It is a violation of the gospel because what you're saying is in order to be a part of church, the way we understand church, in order to really be a part of the community of faith, you have to receive God's grace by faith in Christ and then play by our religious rules. Then you can belong. Paul says, that is just not the gospel. That to belong You have to receive grace and then play by the rules. This is what he says, verse 15. He says, we who were Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, here's why that doesn't work. That you can separate yourself from other believers in Jesus Christ just because they don't believe or behave or practice their spirituality the same way as you do. Paul says, we, we know that no one is justified by their religious rule keeping. What does that mean? Well, the word justified, at the end of the day, the word justified means to be shown or to be proven to be um, Living in right relationship with God. I guess that would be from sort of a human perspective. That someone who is justified is someone who is obviously or visibly living in right relationship with God. From God's perspective, someone is justified is someone with, for whom God has reached around and embraced them and drawn them close and said, you are mine. You are a part of my family. And Paul says, we know That no one gets embraced by God and invited into their family because of how meticulously they obey the religious rules. It doesn't work that way. Grace is unearned, undeserved, unwavering, and unconditional. That you don't have to obey a certain set of rules. We know that because nobody ever perfectly plays by the rules. Nobody. You could write your own religious rules. You could say faith is about believing these things and behaving in those ways and practicing your spirituality in that way. And you'll still break your rules because nobody can do it perfectly. If it had to do with our ability to play by the rules, we would all be screwed. 
Paul says, nobody, your relationship with God is not measured by the perfection with which you play by the religious rules. Because we'd all fail. In fact, by the way, the religious rules that were being argued for in Galatia were only three. There are 612 rules in the Jewish law. They were arguing for three, circumcision, Sabbath keeping, and eating kosher. Um, the reason we all do this, we all pick and choose which rules we think people have to play by. We all pick and choose. This is why we take everything the Bible says and then we reduce it down to some parts that we say are really important and other parts that we're willing to fudge a little on, right? That, <laughs> um, you know, someone, I heard somebody say once, the, the pastor in their church growing up, the pastor could have been, sort of a, a greedy, you know, selfish, you, um, loner or whatever. But if he had ever walked out in the parking lot and lit up a cigarette, he'd be fired. Because smoking, for some reason, mattered more than greed or that other. We pick and choose what matters the most. And we pick the stuff that we think we can do. <laughs> That's how we pick and choose. We believe these beliefs are important because we believe them. We believe that those behaviors matter because we would never do them. And we believe that these spiritual practices are important because those are the ones that we like. And then we judge other people for not conforming to our definition of what it means to follow Jesus. And then we exclude them for not being like us. We say, yes, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. But if you want to be a part of us, you have to do it this way. And Paul says it's ridiculous because your relationship with God is not based on how perfectly you can live out the religious rules. Instead, what he says is, um, we are justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Your relationship with God is utterly dependent on you placing your faith in Christ Jesus, who, God in human form, is the only person in human history who ever really was able, every moment of every day, to live the life that God called them to live. Which, according to Jesus, is loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving everybody else as much as you love yourself. Jesus was the only person to ever live that way every moment of every day. And it's by Jesus' death and resurrection that you can receive forgiveness for all the ways that you have not been a person who loves God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength every moment of every day. And you can receive forgiveness for all the ways that you haven't loved the people around you as much as you love yourself. And you can receive healing and transformation in your soul so that you become a little bit more like that person every single day. And all you have to do to receive that is to put your faith in Jesus, to believe in him, to trust that forgiveness and healing is yours because of his life and death and resurrection and to live a life of faithful devotion to God. And Paul says anyone who believes in Jesus trusts in his life, death, and resurrection for forgiveness and healing and is living a life of faithful devotion, that person belongs to the community of faith. And they cannot be excluded because they don't do that in exactly the same way that you or I do it. Now, Paul knows this is going to rattle some cages. And so he anticipates the objection that people are going to raise. And so in verse 17, he's quoting somebody's question to him. And he says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. What, what does that mean? Paul's, Paul says, somebody's going to say to me, listen, Paul, I understand that we Jews, you know, we have particular rules that we like to live by and the Gentiles don't. But 
he says, if, the person says to him, if I'm going to sit at the table with a Gentile sinner and eat their unclean food, that makes me a sinner. And if I sit at their, the table of sinners and eat that sinful food and I become a sinner because Jesus told me to, doesn't that mean that Jesus is commanding me to sin? And Jesus would never do that. And Paul says, no. He says, no, listen, God forbid that you would have this thought. Paul says, here's the problem with your reasoning. You believe that the person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ and received forgiveness and healing is still a sinner. He says, that's the problem right from the get-go is that you're calling them a sinner. The fact that they've put their faith in Jesus and received forgiveness and healing means they're not a sinner anymore. They're a saint. And if you go and eat dinner with a saint, I don't care what kind of food you eat, you're experiencing the community of faith. He says, I'll tell you what would be sin though. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. What does that mean? Um, Jews in the ancient world believed that God had built a wall around the people of Israel and that wall was the Jewish law. And to the degree that they lived by and obeyed the Jewish law, there was this wall that protected them from all the bad people out there. The sinners were out there. The saints were in here. And it was the people who lived within the Jewish religious law. So, so long as we were faithful Jews living by Jewish religious law, we were protected from the sinners and we were pre preserved as saints. We were holy. Then Paul said he had this encounter with Jesus and Jesus said, actually, anyone who puts their faith in me and receives forgiveness and healing from me by the grace of God, they're in. Jesus tore the wall down, said that wall doesn't matter anymore. My arms reach wider than that. I'm embracing everyone who's put their faith in me simply because they put their faith in me and there are no religious rules that they have to obey to receive my grace. Jesus tore down the wall. Paul says, but if I, this wall that Jesus has torn down, if I start to build it back up again by adding my own religious rules, my own religious requirements, my own religious hoops that people have to jump through if they're going to be a part of my little community, he says, well, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Then I really would be doing the opposite of what God does because God tears down walls and joins all people together who have put their faith in Christ, joins them together in unity in the community. Um, and it doesn't matter whether they believe a little differently or behave a little differently or practice a little differently. They are one in Christ because they have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. Because Paul says that's literally the only thing that matters. Verse 19, he says, this is why obeying the religious rules don't matter. He says, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul, Paul says, I have through the law, I died to the law because I've been crucified with Christ. What he means to say is this, according to the law, I was a sinner because I broke the law. I broke the religious law. I confess that I was a sinner. And that sin condemned me to death. I deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says I deserve to die because of my sin. Then he says, by grace, through the love of God, Jesus showed up and died my death for me. Jesus died on my behalf. Jesus died my death instead of me. 
And in dying my death for me, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Jesus satisfied the punishment or the Jesus satisfied the law. And Paul said, I was set free. So now he says, I'm dead to the law. Those religious rules have no claim over my life. And it's dead to me. I don't go seeking after it. That's not how I base my life with God. It's not what I'm building my life on is obeying the right religious rules. He says, instead, he, he says, um, the life I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says, I now live for God. And he says, I don't live my life anymore. The life I now live in the body, he says, I live by faith in the son of God who loved himself and gave himself for me. He says, my life is now shaped by Jesus Christ because Jesus didn't just die. He was raised. He's the living savior. And now his life by the power of the spirit lives inside of me. So my life with God isn't even my life anymore. I'm not even trying to live my life with God anymore. What is happening is God has put his life in me And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' life is pouring out of me. I'm becoming more like Jesus, not because I'm obeying all sorts of religious rules, but because Jesus lives in me and is changing me to be more like Jesus. That's what he says. The the verse was up a second ago. I'll read it again. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, my life I live by faith. I don't live by religious rule keeping. He says, the life I live, I live trusting Jesus that his power in me will reshape me from the inside out so that I increasingly become someone who loves God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and who loves everybody else as much as I love myself. He says, the life I live, I now live like this. It's not that I try hard to keep the rules. What I do instead is I say to Jesus, I believe that you died to save me. And I believe that you were raised And that you live in me. And so Jesus, I want your life to spill out of me. I want you to live your life through my body. And I want you to love God through me. And I want you to love everybody else with my life. Paul says, it's not even me anymore. I'm not even doing this. It's Jesus who's doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just trust Jesus to live his life through me. There's no amount of religious rules that can make me live like Jesus. The only way to do that is by the power of the spirit living in me. Paul says, that's why rules don't matter. That's why they have no more role to play in your life in relationship with God. And he said, so now I live my life by faith. And what pours out of me is the life of Jesus, which is life is loving sacrifice. Which is me being willing to give up myself so that other people could experience the love of God. And this is how the passage ends. Verse 21, he says, I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul says, if at the end of the day, our relationship with God boils down to our ability to play by the religious rules, then Jesus' death is worthless and meaningless and we might as well pack it up and go home. Paul's point is this. We act as though there's a cool kids table within the church. And that in order to sit at the cool kids table, you have to believe all the right things 
You have to behave in all of the right ways and you have to practice your faith in all of the right, with all of the right practices. And if you can't somehow get your act together and believe and behave and practice in the way that other people are expecting you to, then you, get, you end up sitting on the outside while all of the real Christians and all of the real church and all the people who are really getting it right get to huddle together and be community with each other. And Paul says the second we do that, the second we break relationship because of differences in how we believe or how we behave or how we practice faith, the second we alienate people who have been forgiven and and healed by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The second we alienate them because they do their faith differently than me, we have sinned against the gospel. The amazing thing about the cool kids table in the church is that everyone gets to sit at it. If you have put your faith in Christ, and received by grace his forgiveness and healing, there is nothing else you need to do to fully belong. And it is the ones who are excluding you who are sinning against the gospel of Christ. So here's the question. Who have you avoided? Because the way they do faith makes you uncomfortable. Like think about somebody who is genuinely a person who's being a follower of Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They've trusted Jesus for forgiveness and healing. They are doing their best to live a life of loving devotion with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, But you withdraw from community with them because they believe differently than you. Or they behave, somehow they understand what it means to live the Christian life differently than you. Or they practice their faith in ways that make you uncomfortable. Who do you separate from because their faith is different than yours? They don't, do, they don't play by the religious rules that you prefer to play by. And what do you need to do in the spirit of the loving sacrifice of the life of Christ, to get up from the table where you are, to step out of the, com- the shelter of the community in which you prefer to live, to go and join them in the unity and the oneness that comes through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, which is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, uh, I confess that I and we as a community can be incredibly exclusive and decide that people don't fit in our circle of community. They don't have a seat at our table because they look different than us or their background is different than us or they believe differently than us in some ways or they you know, behave differently than we do or they don't live out their spirituality the way that we do. Our inclination over and over and over again is to bunker down with people who are exactly like us. And Father, would you help us open our hearts to the reality that every time we do that, we are watering down grace and violating the gospel. Would you teach us to be people and a community in which There is always a seat for everyone 
at the table. That for people who have put their faith in you, trusted you for forgiveness and healing, and are by your spirit living a life of loving devotion to you, they get to belong. Would you teach us to be one in this beautiful mystery of grace? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.